Hey everybody, welcome to the Inspire Podcast. This is Matt. And this is Brad. We are the pastors of Inspire Church in Westfield, Indiana. If you want to stay up to date with everything that's happening around here, be sure to subscribe to our text updates by texting the keyword INSPIRE. That's N-S-P-I-R-E to 317-451-4111. We hope the following message inspires you to take the next step in your faith journey. Well, good morning. How are we doing? We alive and well. Thank you to all of you who've really braved the cold to come in here and join us in person, as well as everybody who's joining us online. As Brad just mentioned a couple of minutes ago, we are in a series that we've been walking through a book. Now, here at church, we try to walk through the book, which is the Bible, and we work through that. But every once in a while, we find tools that help bring some of these other pieces of Scripture alive. And so today, we are in part six of going through seven different habits that help us win the day. Now, if you're interested in catching up on this, and I will say this, if today's your first time joining us, you can, uh, it's perfectly fine to jump in the middle. Each week kind of acts as a standalone. But if you'd like to go back and hear some of the other other ones, you can do so by going to inspire.church slash win the day. And just a little fun note for those of you, uh, we are inspire.church is our website, not .com or anything like that. Uh, every once in a while, somebody's like, hey, I tried to send you an email. I sent it to inspire.com. I'm like, well, it's because it's .church. That's why it didn't work. Uh, so just a little fun little fact. I'm already giving you extra information this morning, right? So get some extra credit in there today. Now, in this series, what we have kind of looked at is there are habits that help us win the day, but I think of them in my head as working uh, towards how we deal with our past. There are some things that we do today that help us see the see our past in a certain way that help us win the day versus mess up the day, right? There are some habits that we can do to help us seize opportunities in the present, and then there are also things that help us as we look towards the future. The future is obviously a mystery, but there are things we can do today to help us lay the foundation for our future. And so today we're going to be talking about habit number six, which is wind the clock. And this idea is that that time is measured in minutes, life is measured in moments. And I did like a deep dive this week, guys, on scripture because uh, this is a book. It is a motivational book. And I thought there's all sorts of examples in scripture that bring this idea alive. And so it's, you might see this and think, wind the clock, or uh, I'm not sure that's entirely obvious. And so today I'm going to show you roughly what this one looks like. You see, this habit is all about how we manage our time. It's about being fully present or aware of everything that's happening in the right here and right now. But it also has the, this uh, invitation to keep an eye to the future. And not just the things that are happening in the future, but the things that, that, are, that are eternal or will last, that are enduring. See, one of, the greatest, uh, one of the greatest research tools here in the modern world says that when you start thinking about time, there are two different words. And it says this, the Greeks, or the ancient Greeks, here's your greatest research tool of modern history. That was a joke. See, it worked. You laughed. I hear you. Uh, The ancient Greeks had two words for time, chronos and kairos. The former refers to chronological or sequential time, while the later signifies a proper or opportune time for action. While chronos is quantitative, kairos has a qualitative or permanent nature. See, chronos is clock time. 
It has chronology, right? And then you have, uh, within that, there, there's sequential things that are happening. You know, your past, your present, your future. It's also quantitative, meaning that it counts. It counts seconds, it counts minutes, it counts hours, days, years. Like, that's chronos time. And managing our time is really important. You know this if you're in any sort of profession. If you don't manage your time really well in the present, if you, one of the fastest ways to let your day get away from you or to not win the day is to let, not keep track of your time, right? You have to manage your time. I've heard it said that if you don't manage your calendar, your calendar will manage you, right? But it, I will say this. Managing our time is not as important as redeeming our time. And that's where Kairos time comes into play. You see, uh, Kairos understands that there are big moments within your day, within your life, within, you know, your past, present, and there will probably be even big moments in your future. And Kairos time is understanding that we want to make the most of all those opportunities. We want to mark those moments. And when we think about keeping time, yeah, there's a point where we want to keep time. But Kairos time, it has a way of making time. When you're dealing with Kairos time, sometimes time can be slow. Other times it can be fast. Sometimes it's time flies when you're having fun with friends. And other times there are moments that seem to, seem to stand still. Right? Now, winding the clock, when we're dealing with this habit, it's about having a right relationship with time. Mark Batterson says it this way. He says, time, Mark Batterson is the guy who wrote the book, by the way. Uh, he says, time is measured in minutes, but life is measured in moments. Not all time is created equally. Which I think is an interesting phrase, because when you think about time, we think, no, 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 we, like, we can set a clock and time counts. It's always going to happen. You know, there's seconds. Seconds are always flying by, right? But not all time is created equally. Uh, time is very much relative. And if you want to mess with your mind a little bit, do a quick Google search on time dilation. I uh, went down a rabbit hole this week in my study stuff for this, and I went across the hall to Brad's office, and I was like, dude, are you, like, have you ever really, like, thought about some of the stuff that goes with time dilation? This is with Albert Einstein's relativity stuff, all of that. Uh, man, it can mess with your mind really quickly. Uh, and time actually has a very relative sense to it. Uh, now, you may be, as we start talking about this today, you may be aware of a story it's, it's a pretty important story within human history of a guy named Abram. You heard of that guy? Abram, in his story, I want to show you how time can play factors of both chronos and kairos. You see, Abram was a man who felt called by God, and a lot of history can be traced back to this guy. Lots of people in the world can trace their history back in some way or another, back to a, a part of his story. And so Abram, in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1, says this, The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. You may have heard this story before, right? This is like one of the beginnings. Of, actually, the, the Islamic faith traces their, their story back to this. The Christian faith traces their story back to this guy. You've got uh, the Jewish families and the Jewish uh, heritage traces back to this story. Lots of human history tells this story. It's a big story, right? It, it's, it's one where uh, I, I would say that you could call this an epic journey. Now, 
If you pay attention today in the stories that I'm about to show you, and when I say we're going to run through some scripture, I mean we're going to cover some quick scripture, but there's a lot of depth to this stuff. So pay attention today as we read, because you're going to see moments that are kairos, you're going to see moments that are chronos, all laced in the center of Abram's story. So the story continues on. He says, I'm going to make you into a great nation, meaning you're going to have lots of kids. Your family is going to, uh, to populate the world. Because at this time, most of the nations started off as families. They were families. They were clans that grew and grew and grew. And so God says, I'm going to make you into a great nation. I am going to bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. You get the idea. There's, there's a trend happening here with blessing. This nation is going to be different than all the other nations. Like lots of nations, they grow. I've said this tons and tons of times. Like if you don't ever, if you don't pick up anything else from the story of Abram, uh, Abram's nation was going to be different because most nations, they grew. They grew in power for their own nation. They conquered and they took the other nations as slaves. They conquered and they, their power, their might was for them, for their benefit, for their glory. But this was going to be a different kind of nation. This was going to be a nation that was going to be blessed so that it then could go in turn be a blessing to all the other nations. It's an interesting story. And he says this, all of the peoples of the earth will be a blessing through you. God shares this big vision with Abram. He says, listen, this is, this is the dream I have for you. And I imagine Abram hearing this. He is excited about what he's hearing. The scripture continues on, verse 4. Of course, after hearing all this, Abram went. As the Lord had told him, and Lot, which was his nephew, went with him. Abram was, get this. 75 years old when he set out from Haran. 75 years old he starts this journey. Like you would think, like God, if you're going to start a big epic journey, pick somebody like in their like late 20s. They got the energy. They got a long runway ahead of them. Like let's pick somebody young. But no, God says, no, we're going to start this thing when you're 75 years old. Time is very much relative. For us, we think 75 years, I mean, that might, if I'm just still kicking at 75, I'm going to be pretty happy, right? Uh, but God, he stands outside of time. And so it's no big deal for him to like reach out and say, hey, Abram, we're going to start a new journey. Let's do this, right? I was uh, in preparation for today's message. I was reading, and I, I was reading about one psychology uh, group who did a study and they basically took a group of people who were older in age, and they placed them in a, 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 a it was a, I think it was a convent, an old convent, that they had basically reset that whole convent up back into like 1950s era. They were showing old uh, broadcasts of news. They were, all the newspapers connected back to that time period. And most of the people who were going back into this were alive at that time period. They remember that time period. And they basically dressed that way. They invited all the participants to not talk about anything that happened after the, day, after the time period that they were setting them back into. So don't talk about the, the things that you know are coming. Just live like almost like in your head. Imagine you're putting yourself back in that time and live this thing out. By the end of the two weeks, there were people who came into this experiment who were like, they were elderly. Some of them like shuffled their way in. And at the end of this 
experiment, they actually did like a little party and a celebration. And these, these people were literally playing uh, football, European style, not the good kind. Uh, and so they were playing football outside together, running around. They took pictures of the participants before the experiment and after, and they asked people who knew them and who, you know, had had relationship with them, said, which picture do you think happened before the other? And the, at the end of the experience, these people physically looked younger to their loved ones. Like, in their minds, it had actually helped them age differently, if you will. You see, some people age young, I pick on my friend Rick right here. He's an old man right here, guys. Uh, but he is like the youngest old man you'll ever meet. I hope I have half the energy that Rick does when I'm his age. Like, I pick on him all the time. He's one of my best friends, so I can say that, right, Rick? <laughs> He's like not on stage. Uh, but like some people, they age young. Like they just, they, you know, you'd say, man, time's been really good to them. Other people, you look at them and say, man, time has not been their friend. Like they are not even, how old, they're like only in their 50s? Gracious. I would, have, I would have thought they were, you know, they just don't look like they're doing very well, right? Like we can, we use those experiences. Like no one in the room's like, that's me, right, Matt? You got that me from that example? Uh, like we, we know that like time is very much relative, even in our own lives. Our minds are so powerful when we think about ourselves and what we tell ourselves about our age. I have to confess, I tease around here and uh, I've teased many of you from, uh, especially when the early days about how like some of you guys are old or whatever and you really aren't old. What I've learned as I've, if I'm being honest, when I started the church, I was so young. I didn't want them to think I was young. I just wanted them to think they were old. <laughs> so I would tell people like in their 40s, many of you guys are so old. Old. Uh, they weren't. I was just stupid young to be leading a church. Uh, you know, our minds, they tell us different stories, and you can literally play in your mind over and over these stories and convince ourselves physically, and it can affect us. Another thing is that, can, that can happen to us is some of us, we have lots of memories of our past, and we think to ourselves, well, I've done this. I've done that. I've, I've made some really bad choices. And we can disqualify ourselves in our minds from ever seeing ourselves as being able to take a big journey like what Abram's about to take off on. You know, as we age, we fear losing our memory, right? We, we, we fear like having like, you, you have probably felt this way. I'm not even, I'm about to turn 39 years old here next week. And uh, I was thinking to myself, like, I was walking downstairs this last week. You've all probably done this. You walk down there, and I don't remember what I was doing. Like, you walk in the room, like, what did I even come in here for? Like, I don't even know what I was doing. Like, you start losing your mind a little bit, right? And I, I said to myself, man, I'm getting old. I'm, like, starting to forget what I was doing. Uh, and in reality, one of, the, one of the great fears that we have of aging is that we would lose our memories because it feels like you're losing yourself, Right? As you start forgetting your memories, you start forgetting parts of who you are because our memories make us who we are. Brad told me this story about this, this couple this last week. They were out to eat with another couple. I might mess it up, but I'll tell it my own, my own version. Brad told it really well. Uh, there was a couple that were out to eat, and they were, they were an aged couple, and they were on a double date, and they were talking about just great places, great experiences that they've been, and uh, the husband, one of the husbands was like, you know, last time we went out, we, uh, we went to this really great restaurant, and it was, it was really amazing. You guys should try it. And he's like, sitting there thinking, he's like, what's the name of that, what's the name of that flower they give for special holidays? It's red, it's got thorns on it, and 
one of the other members of the other couple was like, oh, uh, Rose. And he goes, oh, yeah, hey, Rose, what was the name of that restaurant we went to <laughs> last year? Uh, like he forgot his spouse's name. I thought that story was really funny. Uh, <laughs> you know, like as we get older, we forget. And as we think to ourselves, like, we can, we can use age and chronos time, uh, uh, the way we think about that, as an excuse to not take off on big journeys. To not, like, to think, well, I'm just happy to be here today. I don't, winning the day, I, I've won lots of days. I just get to be here today. But God says, no, 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 I have big plans for you. Your story is not over. You have lots still ahead of you. Chronos time is really big, but there's other things that are happening within your story. So this, the scripture continues on. It says, They set out for the, Cana the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Verse 6, Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree in Moreh at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. This is interesting. God tells Abram, this land you're currently on, I'm going to give it to your ancestors, to your children. To which, at this point in time, Abram didn't even have children. And then what's Abram do? He built an altar here. This is like Kairos stepping into the story. There are big moments in your life that you mark a moment. I think of this like annually you have a birthday and they keep coming, right? And you celebrate those. Those are Kairos moments. You have moments like your anniversary. You have big moments uh, in your life that you can remember when something big happened in your life. Some of them are great memories. Others of them are like 9-11. And there's this, these big moments that we end up marking because they have a significance to our story. This is a moment that's not equal to all the others. And Abram pauses to mark that moment and say, Hey, this is going to be like a monument, a sign post along the journey. One of the things that's really interesting, I didn't have time to do this for you, but like if you were to take a line on the map and draw where Abram travels, he stops and builds altars all along his journey as like little signposts to remind him of moments what God has done. I've told stories, the story to you guys before about how when I felt called to ministry, uh, I, f I was in a shower in a very spiritual moment, let me tell you. And I really felt like God, I was praying. I used to have a prayer list that I used to keep in my shower and I was praying and I felt like in that moment that God shared and called me to go into ministry. And I actually didn't want to do it. It had convinced me. Um, and all through my story, all through my ministry years, there's been moments when it's been very difficult. There's been moments that have been really exciting but there's like, Multiple times in my life, God has returned me to that big moment in my life to say, listen, I've called you. This is a part of your story. This is where you're going. And he's returned me to that moment when it was really rough at times, when you don't want to quit. He's returned me to the, this, that moment at times that where things were growing really great, saying, like, remember, I told you, this is what I've called you to. Like, you mark moments along your journey, and sometimes they're, they're big moments you need to remember for the hard times. Other times they're there to remind you through the good times. Like not all time is created equal. Our lives are filled with lots of these big Kairos moments. 
Those moments can solidify your faith in reminding you to go forward. Those moments span time. They stay with us in a way. You know, we have lots of these big Kairos moments in our life. And, and to be honest with you, you've, I've had experiences in my life where it literally feel, felt like when you're in one of those moments, time just stopped. Time didn't even matter. Like, I'll never forget the first time I held my kids. If you've had that, prev that privilege, you just know, like, you're not worried about time in that moment, are you? Like, you just know what a gift that moment is. You see, when we read the stories of Scripture, we read these stories that can take us minutes, but these things sometimes took years and decades, and sprinkled through them are both long spans of time, but very big moments. Now, I want to show you a couple of things in the rest of Abram's story, because, again, you've probably heard bits of this story before, but let me connect some dots for you. This is where we go into our deep dive Bible study stuff, right? So, this is Genesis chapter 12, where he is called to this new land, right? He takes off. He goes on this journey. You have uh, this big moment. And remember, he's age 75 when he takes off on this journey. Now, in Genesis chapter 15, a couple of chapters later, now there's some cool things that happen here, but we're not going to connect those dots right now because we don't have that much time. We do need to get out of here at a decent time. Uh, so Genesis chapter 15 is where you have, uh, he cries out. Abram has just done some amazing stuff. Like his son, his nephew Lot was cat taken captive uh, by some neighboring tribes. And uh, word gets to Abram that, hey, Lot's been captured. And so Abram gets a bunch of people in his family, goes and tracks down his nephew and rescues him on his way back of making, from making this conquer. And remember, at this time, if you were to conquer somebody in a fight... You would just pillage them. You'd take all their wealth. You'd take all their animals. You'd take all this stuff. And so he comes back from this moment, really a wealthy man. And as he's on his way home, uh, a man named Melchizedek comes out and greets him and says, the, the God most high has, has uh, honored you. You are blessed by the God most high. And so Abram is, again, reminded of his blessing that God gives him. He gives Melchizedek 10% of everything that was given, that he had taken in this this battle is a big moment. And in Genesis chapter 15, after all this great stuff has just happened, God comes back to Abram and says, hey, remember, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you great. And Abram cries out and says, listen, all this blessing sounds really great. This is the New Revised Gaylor version for you. All this, all this blessing is real great, God, but I don't even have a child to pass it along to. I have a servant who's going to end up inheriting everything that I have because I have no children. This is Genesis chapter 15. You may remember, you may have heard this story of God tells Abram to go out of his tent, look up into the sky, and there's the stars, as numerous as the stars are in the sky. That's how many descendants I'm going to, make, to give you. You ever heard that story? Right, like, that's in Genesis chapter 15. So Abram's like all pumped up. And Genesis... Uh, uh, in Genesis chapter 16, you have Ishmael's, uh, his, his son, who's born, and this isn't the son, by the way. If you don't know the story of Abram, it's real jacked up. God's favorite guy, his, his wife Sarah, or Sarai at the time, it was her name, she couldn't have children. She was older too. And so she says, hey, take my servant. Maybe she can bear a child for you. And so Abram has uh, a child with his wife's servant named Ishmael. Ishmael was born when Abram was age 86. 
He's, he's older, right? Now, that's in Genesis chapter 16, Genesis chapter 17. God comes to Abram again and says, Hey, I'm gonna, I want to remind you of this covenant that I have, I've made with you. I'm going to increase your numbers greatly. As soon as Abram hears this, he falls on his face to the ground. And God then goes through, and this is another big moment in his life. Uh, God goes through and changes his name. Says, no longer will you be called Abram, but now you will be called Abraham. This is another big milestone moment. Like when you think about history and scripture, like some of you guys know some of these big moments, these Kairos moments that happened in Abram's life, right? So Abram gets all excited and says, okay, sounds great. And so in Genesis chapter 17, I'll show you the verse. God says, I'll make you very fruitful. I'll make uh, nations of you. To which I kind of imagine at this point, like Abram's like, hey, the, the clock is ticking, Lord. I'm 86. I've already got one son. You said this was going to be like a nation. I mean, Ishmael has got a lot on his shoulders, right? He says, I'm going to make a great nation of you, and the kings will come from you. Keep an eye on that. We'll come back to that in a minute. Uh, I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for generations to come. To be your God and the God of your descendants after you, the whole land of Canaan, where you are now, where you now reside as a foreigner, this place you live as basically a squatter, someday I will give and as an everlasting possession to your to you and your descendants after you. And I will be their God. This covenant will be for generations to come. Tells him also in this passage, which I just kind of scoot right over real quickly because it makes everybody in the room feel real uncomfortable. This is also where he tells him to circumcise his family and himself. If you don't know what that is, I'm not going into it. I don't have a slide for that. <laughs> <laughs> Tells him to circumcise all the men in his family. He also says, hey, your wife Sarai, her name's going to be named Sarah. And uh, Abe then, as he's hearing all this, Abe asks God, hey, can Ishmael, perhaps Ishmael can live underneath this blessing that you're talking about? And God says, no, this is for another son. I have a different promise for you. He actually does say, I'm going to bless Ishmael too, but he was not going to live underneath this, this covenant. To which I would say, if I was Ishmael, why do I got to get circumcised, Dad? Like, this isn't for me, right? Uh, you guys can undo that, right? So on this day, check this out. The scripture tells us, on that very day, Abraham took his son Ishmael and all those who were born in his household were bought with his money, every male in his household, and circumcised them as God told him. Abram, check it out, was 99 years old. When this happened. Like in this room, most of us would just be happy to make it to that day, but God wasn't even anywhere near done with Abraham. He's 99 years old. Scripture continues on and says, within a year, around this time next year, you will be holding your son. So from 77 or 75 years of age to 99 years of age, there's a long period of time of waiting and wondering, when is this blessing? that God says he's going to give me? When's it going to come to fruition? We're talking, you know, roughly 25 years of just waiting for one promise to come true. And Abraham, is a, it displays what it looks like to live a life of long obedience. 
I talk about church a lot because this is, that's been my big epic journey. You know, we started the church and we kind of took off with it. It's been like a long, slow journey at times. It's been very exciting. And the things that God has done through just this story has just shaped me a bunch. So lots of my context that I share with you comes from my experience, right? I believe you have an experience too, that God's doing something big in your life. It's not all about just this church. We're doing this together. But God's doing something amazing in your life. I remember one time early, early, early on, one of my mentors, I was just talking to him about how, you know, we were serving the, the community and we were trying to do some different things to just, my dream has always been that people would hear of our church first, not because we were so great at marketing, but because we served them in some capacity or another. I just thought serving is the best way to grow your church rather than, you know, some great marketing strategy. And one of my mentors said, I really like that. He goes, you just have to know that's going to be a long journey. And he goes, but you know what? Successful churches are the churches that do the right things long enough. Like, do you have it in you to be faithful for the long haul? Can you be obedient over a long period of time? No matter your age, I believe that you've had great moments in your past, but there are still great moments ahead. And the way we win the day is that we mark the moments, but we are faithful in the minutes. You see, this story isn't just for us. The story that we're living here now isn't just for us. You remember the Hebrew story, right? Like Abraham has some descendants. They grow up. They actually go to, to Egypt. They end up becoming slaves. And we're going to, let me just fly through a couple things. And I want to show you some neat stuff that there's a good chance you've never seen in Scripture before. Or maybe you haven't connected these dots. So the Hebrew story has them, uh, they go to Egypt, they end up becoming slaves. You may have heard of a guy named Moses who leads them out, right? The Red Sea, Moses walks up to the Red Sea, puts his staff in the Red Sea, parts, they walk out. They, they travel through a desert after getting the Ten Commandments. They travel through a desert rather quickly, actually, if you think about the number of people. And they get on the edge of the promised land that God has for them. And they look across the Jordan River to this promised land. And Moses sends over spies into this new promised land and says, Hey, I want you to go over there, check out the land, and figure out where or how we should go about conquering them. One of those guys was a guy named Caleb, right? Now, uh, Caleb understood this idea of what it means to wind the clock he understood that time is measured in minutes, life is measured in moments. Caleb, at the age of 40, he goes and he explores this land, and while he's there, uh, he's one of the few spies that comes back and gives a positive report. You may know this story. Like A lot of the spies that went over there came back and they're terrified. They're like, all the people who live in that land are giants. They're huge. We can't conquer these people. Oh, yes, this land does flow with milk and honey, but there's no way we'll ever be able to take it from them. But Caleb comes back and says, hey, no, I think we can do this. He's one of the few who says this. At the age of 40, Caleb does this. Rabbinic tradition actually says that while Caleb was in the land and he was exploring the land and spying on them, that he visited a certain place in this area called Hebron. So Caleb goes off and he's traveling around this space and he visits this, uh, this certain location in the promised land. And in Hebron, that's where uh, Sarah and Abraham are buried. 
This is where they lived, where they built their altars. They pitched their tents there. This is where they resided. And Caleb goes and visits their space, their graves. And he's standing in the land knowing that God has brought them out of Egypt through the desert, given them the Ten Commandments, given them the law. He's with them, and he knows we are so close to possessing the gift that God has for us. And so Caleb goes, and, and while he's in Hebron, of course he's going to come back and tell everybody, we can do this. Because he's literally stood in the land, and he's seeing the promises of God starting to come out, starting to be lived out. And so he, uh, he uh, tells them, I think we can do this. I think we can do this. Now, you know that the rest of the people that were with them convinced the whole nation that, no, we can't do this. And so what do they do? They turn their backs and they wander around the desert for 40 years. You've heard the story, right? Caleb is one of the few that's, been, that's told that can live to go into the promised land. Some of it's because he had the faithfulness and believed back the first time they were there. Nearly everybody else, God says, like that generation is going to die off before you ever possess the promised land. Moses was one of them. So Joshua chapter 14 tells the story when they finish the 40 years traveling, they go up to the promised land and they're about to conquer the promised land. And Joshua 14 verse 6 tells this uh, story of an interaction that Caleb and Joshua have about the new land that they're going to be given. And every tribe, every clan is going to be given a certain piece of property. And one of the stories, I think it's in this actual scripture, it says this, uh, this is Caleb talking. He says, I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me to Kadesh Barnea to explore the land. And I brought him back a report according to my convictions. But my fellow Israelites who went up with me made the hearts of the people melt in fear. I, however, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. So on that day, Moses swore to me, the land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever because you have followed the Lord your God wholeheartedly. Now then, just as the Lord has promised, he has kept me alive for 45 years since then, since the time he said to Moses while Israel moved about the in the wilderness. So here I am today, 85 years old, I am still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I am just as vigorous to go out into battle now as I was then. Now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day. You yourselves heard then that the Anakites were there and their cities were large and fortified. But the Lord helping me, I will drive them out just as he said. Then Joshua blessed Caleb and gave him, look at this, Hebron as his inheritance. Like he went into the land, saw the space that Abram or Abraham and Sarah are, born, are buried, and literally that became his inheritance. Talk about long faithfulness. Abraham's story all the way through to Caleb and the, the years of waiting for Caleb. This dream that God gave Abraham was not just for him, but it was for his descendants and their descendants. Now, you want to see something else that's really neat? I know you're like, okay, let's wrap this thing up, Matt. 
One last little fun thing for you. In 2 Samuel chapter 5, uh, this is around the time when Israelites were starting to create their kingdom. They had, had some, they had the king Saul, and they were about to coronate a new king. Now, what's customary of having, uh, when you crown or anoint a new king, is that all the family leaders get together, straight Game of Thrones style. You know, they all get in the room, and they, they pledge their allegiance to this new king. Check this out. In 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 1, all the tribes of Israel came to David. You might remember David. David's another one of those big milestone names. He was the guy that God said he was a man after his own heart. He's one of, considered to be the greatest king in Israel's history. Guess where they came to coronate the new king? At Hebron. It's interesting, isn't it? This story of Abraham stretches from generation to generation. What happens, these promises that God gives, isn't just for Abraham. It's not just for Caleb. Remember, God says, I'm going to make you have kings within your line of your family. Remember what I said? We'll come back to that. David becomes king, and he sits on the throne for seven and a half years of his kingdom, uh, of his reign. He sits in Hebron before they move to Jerusalem. He's the king that moved him to Jerusalem. Before Jerusalem, he was in Hebron. God's got a big dream, guys. It's a long journey, and it's not just for us. You know, I believe God's placed a dream in your heart about what your family could become, what your life, what your story might become. There might be things that you're trusting for. Can I just tell you a couple things that I, I think are dreams that God has placed on my heart? I don't even know if they're going to come true. I don't know if they'll happen in my lifetime. I don't even know if they'll ever happen. But I feel like God's placed a couple of big dreams in my life. Years ago, I dreamed that God would give us a church a presence in a city where we would make a big difference. And I also wanted our church to be located right in the heart of town, to which I remember thinking to myself, it'll never happen because we're a broke church. <laughs> we live in a trailer at the time. Literally, we were moving everything in a trailer. And I just prayed, like, Lord, could you put us somewhere near right the heart of church, or right in the heart of town, right in the middle of the town? And a few years later, we moved into the school that's right there behind the new hospital at 31 and 32, to which I would say is like right in the middle of town. And I thought, oh, man, God's like doing something amazing there. Well, we're like spitting distance from there, sitting in this old lumber yard that was nowhere near what I thought we would end up being. But God's got us right here in the middle of town. And literally hundreds of cars drive to the school on this road. This has become a very thorough, big thoroughfare for Westfield, back and forth to the high school and middle school. And God's placed us here. And we're here, and I dream just going to tell you, it's kind of crazy to say this out loud, because if it never happens, you'll be like, yeah, that wasn't God, that was gas, you know, God didn't speak to you, but I really do feel like God is like giving me a dream for this piece of space here, these little five plus acres that sit right here, that someday that would be ours, and we'll own the whole thing, and we'll still have our neighbors over here, and we'll, there's a big building back here that right now there's trucks that are getting fixed in it every week. That's why there's some sitting in the parking lot. And I dream that someday we outgrow this space, and this is ours, and we move over there, and we take that big space and do the same thing, only this time we don't do it all ourselves because that almost killed your pastor. Um, and we move the whole church into a bigger building right back here, and this becomes like a student space where students get to have a student ministry space that's literally walking distance from the school's campuses. I just hope and I dream and I pray that that becomes our story. I've, and I feel like God's working towards that with us. 
And I don't know if it will happen here. Maybe God says, hey, I got another space for you. I don't know. But like I'm dreaming that this is going to happen. I feel like God's moving us in that direction. And I never would have guessed that we would have a space to begin with. I always thought that like we just, in my heart, I felt like we would have space. But in my head, I didn't want to think about it because I was afraid, if I'm really honest. Because you get your hopes up and then you wonder if your dreams are going to get dashed and you're going to live in a church trailer forever. You know? But we've seen God provide. He's done some amazing things in our story. And so we're going to continue to dream. We're going to continue to move forward. And I've heard it said this, you know, show me the size of your dream and I'll show you the size of your God. We're going to dream big as a church so that we can make a big difference in this community and love our neighbors. And ultimately, we want to serve them so well that our reflection of Christ to them is so crystal clear that they come and they join us. We say this all the time, you can belong here before you believe And I believe that there will be people who will come through these doors because we serve them. And they may not even believe what we believe yet. But because we serve them so well, we love them so well, that they came through the doors just because they wanted to be a part of serving their neighbors. And they'll come and find life from Christ among us. It's my dream. And I think that there could be a day where we, we, I can do it in my life. I'm sure you can do it in your life. We'll look back and we'll be like, man, we dreamed that dream. And look what God has done as a part of us being faithful over a long period of time. Don't be afraid, but wind the clock. There are going to be big moments in your life. And then there's just going to be moments where you just have to be faithful over the long period of time. But remember, don't grow weary And when those big moments come, mark them so you can remember them. Turn back to them. This is why we celebrate things like baptism. This is why we celebrate things like your salvation. This is why we put those mark, those pins on the map because they make a big difference in our story. And we don't live this story out just for ourselves, but we live it out for generations to come. God's going to do some amazing things in our story. And you know what? We will mark the moments along the way. And we're going to do our best to be faithful with the minutes of every day. Let me pray for us. Lord, we do. We know you've made some big strides. You made big things happen in our story, and you're not done. And so, Lord, we continue to give our lives to you, and we want to be faithful to you. And we're going to mark those moments as they come. But, Lord, we are going to do our best to be faithful with the minutes to continue to come every single day so that we can win the day. But Lord, we are winding the clock knowing that this is a story that you are writing not just for us, but for generations and generations. So Lord, may this journey and our faithfulness along it honor you. Give us the wisdom to know what to do and then the courage to go and do it. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the Westfield area, we'd love to see you at one of our weekend gatherings. For directions and more information about our services and family ministries, check out our Facebook page or visit us online at www.inspire.church.